Thank you for listening to our Love City Church podcast. Visit us online at www.lovecitychurch.ca. We pray that this message encourages you and strengthens you in your walk with Jesus. Welcome to church this morning. Come on, if you're new here today, I see a couple new faces. My name's Ryan. My wife, Steph, was the girl leading worship today, and this is Love City Church, and we love you. We love Jesus, and we're just glad you're in the house today, and, and uh, uh, we're glad you're here. So I hope that you have enjoyed your time so far today, and we're going to get into the Word now, spend some time in Scripture, studying it together. But before we do, I'm so excited about this weekend, Dallas, Texas, in the house. Dallas has been a part of our life for eight years now. He's one of the most faithful men. You might, he might look a little scary. Don't worry. He won't beat you up. He's a big teddy bear with a big beard. You might think he's part of the Hells Angels, but he's not. Uh, but he's been faithfully coming to the house of God and seeing God change his life. See, you don't want to walk down the center aisle when I'm preaching, Dallas, because then I talk about you. <laughs> But uh, before this next weekend, we are so excited about this next weekend. Uh, we are uh, having a vision weekend. We're going to have a powerful time of worship on Saturday night. We are bringing in some friends of ours all the way from Ontario. Uh, Gabby is going to lead a, a team, and she is an incredible worship leader. She is a huge gift on her life, a huge anointing. And um, I promise you, it's going to be a powerful evening. And so we're going to just worship. There's no real agenda. We're going to worship. Uh, you know, we're going to probably do some prophetic ministry, pray over people, uh, and just see what God does. But come on out. It's going to be so fun. We do need you to register. And then on Sunday morning next week, um, we will be kind of, today is kind of the culmination of our series, uh, Momentum. Uh, but what, what we're going to be focusing on this next week is I'm going to be casting some vision for 2023. It's really the first chance we've been able to cast vision without COVID looming in our midst. I know I use the C word, but uh, without COVID looming kind of around church and around the, the world, really, uh, really kind of getting back to normal on some level, uh, it's the first time we get to really just cast some vision. And I cannot wait to, to share with you what God has put on my heart, uh, in our elders' heart. He's blown a fresh vision into me that I had before we started the church that I had cast before COVID, and then I forgot about it because of the church. We just needed to keep the church moving forward, amen, and uh, keep everyone healthy and moving forward, but, um, and so I'm just so excited. So I want to encourage you, come next Sunday. We do have 9 and 11 o'clock. We'll have our guest worship leaders here. I'll be sharing a vision with you, but Saturday night, you want to come and just hang out in God's presence and meet some new people and worship, I, I promise you it's going to be amazing, and you're going to want to come. So register so we can make sure we get you fitted in, fit it in here, and um, and uh, make sure that we are good to go. So I want to just say thank you to you for hanging with me during this Momentum series. And here's why. This has been a really challenging series. It's been kind of week in and week out. I go home and say, okay, Lord, uh, you know, I'm, I'm generally a pretty fun-loving guy. And, you know, I'm pretty, but, you know, I just felt the Lord say, you, I'm say, God, I want to get off this bus, man. Like, this has been so good, but so intense. And I just felt the Lord say, no, you got to stay the course. Stay the course because we've laid a foundation over the last 11 weeks of what I believe um, is a, a message and a foundation for our church and for your life on what it really means to be a true follower of Jesus. Jesus Christ, what it means to be a true disciple, what it means to be a true follower of Christ. 
And one of the reasons I continued to kind of go after you this week and go after myself as I studied this, and we're excited about this next season. We're going to be doing a Christmas series called Not Just Stories. It's an opportunity for you to invite your friends. Uh, it'll be, uh, you know, really talking about the stories of Jesus and how they're not just stories, they actually happen. But it's a great opportunity for you to, you know, bring a family member, bring friends, our Christmas season. We're going to have some great series in the new year. We'll do a series on relationship. I'm going to bring back an old one I've done called It's Complicated, and we're going to do a relationship series and I'm going to teach you on relationships and, and it's going to be fantastic. We'll do a walk through a book of the Bible. We might look at Ephesians and we've got a lot of fun things coming up uh, next year. Uh, but I just want to say thank you for hanging out with me and I want to just be really honest with you. The reason I've, 11 weeks of this series is this, because I believe the Bible very clearly teaches us in the book of Revelation. In the book of Revelation, Jesus says this. He says, you're either hot or you're cold. He says, but I, if you're in the middle, I'll spit you out of my mouth. Now, I know that's intense, but my heart is this. I want us to be hot for Jesus. I want us to be on fire for God. I don't want us to be in the middle, and I want you to choose. I'm going to be hot for God, or I'm going to be cold for God. Choose one, but don't be in the middle, because I believe that our responsibility as followers of Jesus Christ is to be all in radical followers of Christ, and what we've been looking at for the last 11 weeks is really how to develop and create momentum in our church, in our life. How do we keep the spiritual momentum going forward? How do we, after you have that great experience with God and yet that church service or in your car and you're just excited for God, how do you keep it going when it's not exciting? How do you keep it going when, when, when uh, you don't feel God? Or how, does it, how do you keep it going when you've had a bad experience or you're feeling a little discouraged? How do I keep my spiritual momentum going forward? And how did the church of Jesus Christ in the, in the book of Acts keep the momentum going for 2,000 years? How? What we looked at over the last 11 weeks, I have to be faithful to read this scripture. We've looked at the book of Acts and we've studied really one scripture in the Acts 2.42. And as you remember, the church uh, started in Acts chapter 2 when the Holy Spirit came down on 120 people who had accepted Jesus Christ as the Messiah and the Son of God. And the Holy Spirit, who is God, came down on the earth and 3,000 people gave their lives to Jesus Christ that day. And after that happened, uh, Dr. Luke, who wrote this book of Acts, uh, was a, a Gentile, meaning he wasn't a Jew, meaning he didn't follow the Judaistic principles and the law. He didn't know Jesus. He wasn't an original disciple. Luke got, followed Christ after the fact because of Paul the Apostle. And later, he began to write down all of these uh, details, and he interviewed hundreds of people to try to understand what happened in the early church and try to understand what happened when Jesus walked on the earth. And he wrote this book of Acts to actually be a document that was used for Paul when Paul was actually uh, in, in, uh, in court. And they provided this as evidence, as a documented evidence to prove that what Paul's saying is actually accurate based on the hundreds of interviews that he had. That he had. And so he interviewed the church. And after 3,000 people were saved and gave their lives to Jesus Christ, Dr. Luke articulates one very specific verse, and he tells us exactly what happened and what the church did to keep the momentum going forward. And they were committed to these things. Acts chapter 2, 42 says this. All the believers devoted themselves. How many? All. Not some of the believers. Not a portion of the believers. Not the believers who liked it, not the believers who believed in it, 
Not the, believer, not the believers who thought it made sense in our culture. No, every single believer in that day was habitually devoted, addicted. That's what that word devoted means. They addicted themselves to these three or four things, to the apostles' teaching, meaning that they were committed to the word of God no matter what culture says, no matter what the government says, no matter what the world says, whether our, our culture thinks it's bigoted or hateful or whether our culture thinks it doesn't make sense in our culture, it does not matter. The only truth that we have on the planet in all of the world is this book and this book alone. We, are, we don't have the full truth and no philosopher has the full truth and no, no uh, spiritual leader has the full truth. The only truth we have to live our lives by is this Bible, whether we like it or not. And it doesn't make it truth because we believe it. It's truth whether you believe it or not. And so we are committed, that's why they're devoted to the word of God and the teaching of scripture. And that's why I'm always committed to do that. You know, we don't always like it. It kind of stinks sometimes to hear these messages that are like, oh man, that's opposite of what I wanted to hear today. Well, it's God's word, get over it. <laughs> they also committed themselves to fellowship, koinonia. They were in community together. We create groups for this environment. It could happen on a Wednesday. It could happen on a Sunday. It could really happen in any context of our church. But they were committed to being in community with one another. They were habitually devoted to being in relationship with each other, for caring for one another, for providing for each other. They gave up their lives for one another. They gave up their hearts for one another. They were committed to eating together. They were committed to sharing the Lord's Supper together. And they were committed to prayer. That's not just me individually praying. That is them gathering for worship and prayer on a regular basis. I I don't like it as much as you do. Sometimes I don't feel like gathering. Sometimes I don't feel like going to a group. Sometimes I don't feel like uh, reading the word or su submitting to the word. It doesn't really matter how I feel. This is how you generate and stimulate spiritual momentum in your life is you are committed to the word of God. You are committed to the fellowship of the gathering of the saints and you're committed to praying and worshiping together. It's basically that. And then what, what Dr. Luke said is he then went on to describe all of these things. It's okay, well, they had all things in common and they, they cared for one another. They ate in each other's homes. They did all these things. The Lord added to the numbers daily they were being saved. And then Acts chapter three, Peter and John went to, the, went to a prayer meeting at the church and a guy got healed and they brought him in and the government didn't like it or the, the religious leaders didn't like it. So they brought him into the, to court and they beat him up for leading this guy to Jesus and seeing him healed. And then they returned back to the church that to the same prayer meeting they were going to. They went to the prayer meeting, all beat up and flogged and they walked in and said, guess what happened? We preached the gospel and it says that, that God shook the entire place once again and great fear came over them all. And the spiritual momentum, the results of spiritual momentum in our life as we've talked about over the last few weeks are that we have a boldness to share our faith and, and that we have a fear of the Lord, that we recognize that, that when, when, when God is a loving God, he's a compassionate God, he's a caring God and he forgives us and he redeems us and he showers us with his love but he's also a holy God. 400 times in the Bible is God called holy. Only twice is God called love. We see that when the angels were around the throne, they didn't say, love, love, love is the Lord God Almighty. No, they said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Spiritual momentum generated my life. Was, Man, I want to share my faith. And there's a sense of reverence and awe for this living, powerful God. That yes, his righteousness has covered me, but man, he's holy. And man, I want to live a life that pleases him. And man, I want to honor him. Not only that, but also we learn that we, we serve one another. There's a desire, uh, to, this, this desire to serve each other. They have lives down for one another and to care for each other and to help one another to serve each other. And then we learned last week this powerful, powerful thing that I believe 
is important for you to understand today. And I'm so excited to teach this message today because I believe that what I'm going to teach you today is a spiritual truth that many followers of Jesus have not ever experienced. There is a, uh, I'm going to teach you something today that I believe is a supernatural way to unlock blessing on your finances. Now, before I continue, I am not a prosperity gospel preacher. And I'll teach you that in a moment. I'm not the kind of person that says, give 10, you know, get 1,000. Now, I will teach you something very clearly today, that evidence that there's spiritual momentum in your life is that there is a biblical, spiritual stewardship of your finances. That there is a, a willingness to yield your finances to the Lord. You say, Okay, we read in our scripture today, our, our, our key scripture, there were no needy people among them because those who own land or houses would sell them and bring the money to the apostles to those in need. So there was money. Did you know that, that the money is actually in the book of Acts? Every single chapter in the book of Acts references money. And here we see a guy named Barnabas in Acts chapter 4. For instance, there was Joseph, the one, apostles, uh, the one the apostles named Barnabas, which means sons of encouragement. He was from the tribe of Levi and came from the island of Cyprus. He sold a field he owned, and he brought the money to the apostles. So this guy Barnabas gave this, sold this property and gave a lavish gift and laid it at the feet of the apostles. Why would they do this? Why would Barnabas do this? Remember, they didn't have the New Testament Bible. They had the Pentateuch, the Old Testament. They had some, the, the prophets, and they had different things like that. The only way for these followers of Jesus to learn about Jesus and to learn about what Jesus taught was for the apostles to, to reteach them what they had learned from Jesus. And what they, were, what they were teaching them was that there's something supernatural about money. Did you know that in Jesus' teachings, the number one thing that Jesus taught about was kingdom? Did you know that the second most thing that Jesus taught about was money? 50% more than heaven and hell. So Jesus went around teaching about kingdom and money. Kingdom and money. Kingdom and money. Kingdom and money. So now what did the apostles do? They taught the early church about kingdom and money. And why? Because there's something supernatural about the kingdom of God coming in your life. And there's something supernatural about this idea of money. It runs our entire world. You get up every day to go make money. You live every day to give, give your money away and spend your money and do things with money. Money drives our lives. God knew that this idea of money was a big deal for your life. And so God here, Jesus here, teaches us on it and under, helps us understand it. And we learned about this last week that the two things that, that, that Jesus here is teaching is that we have to choose between the spirit of God or the spirit of money, the spirit of God or the spirit of mammon. We have a choice. There's two opportunities. This is what we choose with our life. Am I going to serve God or am I going to serve the spirit of mammon, the spirit of money? And God has given us a way to fight off the spirit of, of mammon in our lives. He's given us a way to see our finances blessed in a supernatural way. We talked about this last week, that all throughout scripture we learn that, that this is called the tithe. And it means 10%. And if you look at this scripture, or you look at this slide here, you say, which one is holy to God? The Bible teaches us which one of our dollars or which one of our money is holy to the Lord. And the scripture teaches us that the first portion is holy. The seventh is holy, is not holy. The sixth ain't holy. The first is holy. The first does not belong to us. The first is to be returned to the Lord. Why? Because it's holy. Why? Because he gave it to us. Why? Because it's his. Why? Because it is a way for you and I to worship God with our wealth. 
And what God does is he protects the 90%. What God does is he redeems the 90%. What God does is he not only provides for all of your needs, but he allows you to do with 90% what you could never do with 120%. He allows you to function in a way where all of your needs are met. You can invest and you can, uh, you can give and you can, you can uh, take your, you know, put your kids in school. All the things that you feel God's called you to do and he redeems it and he protects it in a way where you are blessed supernaturally. He doesn't give you more money. What he does is he blesses what you have. It's something supernatural, something powerful. Now, you might say to me, Ryan, the, the New Testament doesn't talk about tithing. Well, Jesus actually said, you should tithe, yes. <laughs> now, if this was, no, literally, this isn't like a, like a watered-down translation here. This isn't like the Passion Translation or something, you know. You know, this is like, this is like you should tithe, yes. If this was the only time it was written in the Bible and it was said by Jesus, don't you think I'd be like, oh, whatever, Lord, all right. You should tithe, Yes. Now, he's talking to a bunch of religious Pharisees who made tithing more important, and so they were giving 28% of their tithe, and they were so careful to tithe, they the tiniest tenth of their herbs, but their hearts weren't engaged. So God doesn't just want your money. He wants your heart. He wants your heart, but he doesn't just want your heart. He says, okay, I want your heart, but you should tithe, yes. Why? Because this has been the ancient practice taught since the beginning of time. You say, well, tithing's attached to the old covenant. Well, no, it's not. Cain and Abel tithe, Abraham tithe, Jacob tithe. You might say, okay, there's a, in the end of the law, there's different uh, allusions to tithing. There's many of them, some of them Joshua, some of them Deuteronomy, one, Deuteronomy 14. Deuteronomy 14 talks about what we can do with the tithe. That's actually the tithe within the law. That's actually talking about the 11% to the 28%. That's not talking about the 10% that belongs to the Lord. You can go all throughout scripture and find that the tithe was a major part of what God was teaching us. And, they, and you say, why? Because this is a way for you to have it position yourself for financial Biblical stewardship. Now, those of you in the room and you're, you're visiting for the first time today, or maybe you don't know me very well, I'll say two things. Number one, I don't need your money. Our church doesn't need your money. Now, I think you should tithe, sure. I think, but that's obedience to God, not me. Did you notice that we never asked for your money? Want to know why we do that? Because it's between you and God. It's not between me and you. We are not having financial problems. I'm not preaching this because there's an issue. I'm not preaching this because you guys aren't giving. I don't know if you've ever been to a church like that, but I hate being in those rooms. You just know, like, come on, guys, tithe. Now look at our deficit. We need to pay down all of our debt with your tithe money. Thank God we don't have any debt. We've got lots of money in the bank. Praise God. So this isn't about our financial bottom dollar. This is about your heart and you experiencing something supernatural in your life. I love the fact that I can teach this with no strings attached. I want you to understand that I'm coming to you today from someone who has personally experienced what I'm about to teach you today. And so what we see here in this scripture is that we have an opportunity to honor God with our first. And what happens is, is that I believe this is a picture of what our finances should look like. Now, it might not be the 10% of giving. It could really be any amount, but look at this. What happens is, is that we give our 10%, which the Bible teaches us is holy to the Lord. When you return that to the Lord, it's not giving, it's returning. This is biblical giving. This is when we are able to be generous and love people. We give our tenth to love God and to minister to God, and we give, our, 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 we give a portion of our finances. I'm not saying it's 10%, but this is my goal for my life. Wouldn't it be amazing to only have to live off 80%? Wouldn't it be incredible to give away 10% of your income to people in need? Oh. And guess what? Your needs are met. You've invested. You've saved. You've put your kids through school. You, you've got those nice pair of Nikes you wanted to buy, whatever, Pastor James. Um, <laughs> 
you know, you, you got that motorcycle or that thing that you want to have or that new fishing rod. I'm not saying that you can't have things you love because God wants our money to bring pleasure to our lives. But the thing is, is if you don't have biblical financial stewardship and you didn't start here, God will not redeem your finances for his kingdom because you're taking something that belongs to him. So if you give the 10, he redeems the rest. And guess what? I'm going to make you a personal promise. Hallelujah. For $5.99 for the next seven months. Just kidding. You could have plenty left over to do ministry to others. This is when things start to get fun. This is when it turns into a supernatural blessing. This is when you can give hilariously, cheerfully. This is supernatural, but I'm going to say it to you clearly. You cannot get here until you get here. And this is why I'm preaching on this today. Many followers of Jesus think they're being spirit-led in their generosity, and many followers of Jesus think they're giving, but they do not give in return to the Lord. You cannot do this until you do this. And we see in Scripture, it teaches us this, and I want to show you two Scriptures today. What I want to do is I want to teach you this. I want to show you this in the New Testament. Paul was talking uh, to the Philippi church. He wrote a letter. And what happened was is that Epaphroditus and the church of Philippi sent a gift to Paul. And they sent this gift to Paul. Look what it says. I have everything I need and more than enough. I am taken care of because Epaphroditus brought your gift. So they gave an offering to meet the need of Paul and meet the needs of Paul's ministry. Philippi sent this, the church of Philippi, and Epaphroditus brought it. And look what he says about this offering. It is a sweet gift, a sweet-smelling sacrifice. It is a gift that costs you something. It's the kind of gift that, is so, that, that God is so pleased with. And my God will give you everything you need because of his great riches in Christ Jesus. And so Paul identifies what this offering is. The offering is a sweet-smelling gift. That when you give this offering to, to the Lord, when he leads you to do it, and it's a stretch, and you do it, guess what? It just fills the nostrils of God, and he loves it. Not only that, he is pleased with it. I find it very interesting that he identifies that there is a financial gift that makes God happy. I left something out and it cost you something. So this isn't the tithe. This, this isn't the, the, the tithe that I'm talking about. This costs you something. This is a faith stretch. It's, a, it's the Lord speaking to you and leading you. And man, I feel like I need to give to this uh, this ministry or this thing or, man, the building fund or whatever it might be or world compassion or hope mission or maybe there's someone in the church, you have, man, God's going to tell me to, to help you buy a car or meet your need, whatever it might be. This is spirit-led generosity and it's beautiful, but it requires faith in our lives to say, oh, this one hurts. We learn this, actually, Jesus talks about this in Mark chapter 12. And Jesus is giving us an example. He's talking to disciples, and he wants them to understand the realities of the offering. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put. They'd already given their tithe and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury, and many rich people threw in large amounts. But a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins, worthy only of a few cents. Calling his disciples to him, okay, you're a follower of Jesus. You're following after me. I want you to come close because I'm about to teach you something. Truly, I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. Look what he says. They gave out of their wealth. There was no face stretch for them. She, out of her poverty, she put in everything, all she had to live on. Now, 
Well, I want you to notice something. Jesus did not rebuke the wealthy people for giving an offering. He's not saying, shame on you, you shouldn't do that. No, he's just saying, listen, it didn't require faith for them. They had that money. It wasn't like it was hard for them. There's a need, a thousand bucks for a new thing. Oh, that's not a big deal for me. I got extra money. I'm wealthy. I have more money than most people. I can meet that need. So it's not necessarily a, a face step. It didn't really cost them something. Those are still really important in the house of God. But I'm talking about something supernatural that this widow understood. This widow had already paid her tithe. She had already, she'd already given, met, met the needs, the bills, and all the things. She'd helped her kid eat and bought the groceries and done the thing. And notice it says she had just a bit left over. She only had two cents. It's important you understand, this scripture's not implying that you should give your mortgage payment to God. They gotta pay your mortgage. That's not very good financial stewardship. He's also saying that you shouldn't, you shouldn't uh, you know, spend all that you have and, and give it away when you need to take care of the, the important things in your life. Your kids need to go to school and you need to buy groceries and you, you, you need to have a little bit of money exercise. You're gonna see a movie once in a while. And how about a, an allowance? Praise God, I get an allowance still. I'm a 40-year-old man and I get an allowance. That's what we teach all of our premarital couples. I was like, you wanna keep yourself from fighting in a marriage? Give yourself an allowance. And then do the finances and increase it without her knowing. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy <laughs> just kidding I didn't increase it I didn't I promise see what this woman gave wasn't we're not talking about tithe she already gave her tithe she already met the needs this is, this is left over I've done everything that I do I've, I've paid the tithe I've, I've paid the school bill I've, I've paid the groceries I've, I've invested into my mutual fund I've, I've put a little bit of savings aside for, for my, my daughter's wedding one day God help me and, and, and now I have two cents left over oh this is for me this is for me oh, I can't wait to spend this on that little popsicle I want to get with that two cents and the Lord says I want you to give it away oh God, it's, this is the only thing that's for me. God, this is the only thing out of all my, I've already given to you. I've already, no, no, I want you to give it to someone else. I want you to bless someone else with this two cents. There's something supernatural about that offering. It's not the amount, it's the obedience. It's not the amount, it's the faith required. It's not the amount, it's being obedient to the voice of God. And I'm gonna say this with all boldness, and I am not a prosperity gospel preacher. I wanna tell you this today. God does not return to you on your tithe. A lot of churches have been teaching that, and it's not true. That's called prosperity gospel. God protects your 90%. He doesn't give you extra. But do you know where God does bless you supernaturally in the finances? in the area of the offering. And this is why I'm preaching on this because many of us haven't experienced this because we don't tithe. And many of us haven't experienced it because we're in 130% debt because we needed that brand new vehicle when we could have bought a used one, but instead we bought that brand new one right off the lot and it's like crazy amounts of money, but I just need it for, for I want to give people rides. I'll give people rides in it. And then we, we do it and we're like, oh, what have I done? Oh my gosh, God, where are you? Why aren't you helping me? He's his son and daughter. It wasn't me, it was you. See, we have to make a choice to be good financial stewardship of what God has given us, but we have to start, and I promise you, if you begin to work your way towards it by saying, not, not 3% is not a tithe, 12 is a dozen, and Carrie says it might be 13, but 12 is a dozen, tithe is 10. So if you just start there, begin to be biblical stewards of your finances, God, repent of your debt that you're in, say, God, I'm sorry, I got myself here, he'll forgive you, and now he'll start to help you, and you start to get out of debt, and you're giving your tithe, and you're budgeting your money, and guess what, you're gonna start to have a little bit left over, and God says, okay, will you be faithful with a little? Because if you are, I'll give you a lot. 
Because he knows every time I give you that money, you're not going to hoard it for yourself. You're just going to give it away. And guess what? You can't outgive God. Paul keeps teaching. I'm going to show you this in Scripture. Look at this. So in this Scripture today, what I'm going to end on today is a story in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9. Too many preachers use this story and this, this, this passage of Scripture to teach you on the tithe. This has nothing to do with the tithe. You say, you reap what you sow, Ryan. Press down, check it together, and running over. No, 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 he's not talking about the tithe. He's talking about an offering. And I know this because in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, what happened was is that Paul was traveling around to all the churches trying to raise money for the church of Jerusalem because they were in poverty and they were being persecuted. And so what Paul was doing is he was traveling around and he was going to all these different churches saying, hey, guys, the church of Jerusalem is struggling. Will you give? And the Corinthian church said, yes, we will give. And they made a massive commitment to give their finances as a church to the needy in Jerusalem. And Paul took this and he went to the Macedonian church and he went to the next church and he said to him, hey, guys, listen, the Corinthian church, man, look at what they're giving. Look at what they're doing. And Macedonian church is like, we want to do this too. And so the scripture says that the Macedonian church was a very extremely impoverished church, but they gave lavishly. But the Corinthian church hadn't given yet. They made a commitment. So Paul was using chapter eight and nine to come back to the Corinthian church and say, you guys made a commitment. I never begged you for money. I never said you had to do this. He says, you guys need to keep your word. And he began to teach them again what it meant to give a biblical offering. Look what it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich, talking about the Macedonian church, it welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and they even went above and beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in the service to the Lord's people. And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves, look at this, first of all to the Lord. And then, by the will of God, by the Spirit-led will of God, they also gave an offering to us. Look what he says. He continues in this story. And now he wants to give them understanding. I want to bring you back to remind you about this. Remember this. A farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop, but the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. You must each decide in your heart to give. This isn't about tithing. This is about the offering. It's talking about the offering that they gave to Jerusalem. Don't give reluctantly in response to pressure, for God loves a person who gives cheerfully. And God will generously provide all you need. And then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. For God is the one who provides seed for the farmer and then bread to eat. And in the same way, he will provide an increase of your resources and then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. I want to point out a few things as we end our time together. It says this. Look what he uses here. He uses the agricultural analogy. He basically saying this, you reap what you sow. A farmer who plants only a few seeds get a small crop. It's like a farmer having a bag of seed. He walks out, plants his seeds, cultivates it, comes out at harvest time and says, where's all my harvest? He didn't plant all the seed. He kept it. He says, you only get a few crops if you give a few seeds. But the one who plants generously will give a, have a generous crop. The concept is, in the case of the offering, 
you will reap what you sow. There is something supernatural about this gift. There is something supernatural about this offering. There's something supernatural that you will reap what you sow. And when God will bless you in this area, and I have personally seen it, it's unbelievable. Verse 10 says this, now he supplies seed to the sower. Who supplies it? Who supplies the seed? Come on, one more time. Who supplies the seed? Your employer does not provide the seed. I need you to get this through your mind today. Your boss does not provide your seed. Your boss is not your provider. Your, 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 your business is not your provider. God provides a seed. God provides a seed. God provides a seed. God provides a seed. He supplies a seed for the what? Sower. He doesn't say he provides the seed for the keeper. He provides seed so you can sow it. And he provides bread to provide for all of your needs in your life. And so what happens is, he says in this scripture, that what happens in your life is, is that your purpose of your offering is to meet the needs of other people. The purpose of your offering is to sow seed in other people. And this is what happens in your your life. The remaining is seed to be sown. 10% given to God and the rest of your 90% is is seed to be sown. I pay my bills. I pay my mortgage. I pay my phone bill. You know, I have an allowance to get those shoes. I get that fly rod. Praise God. I get all of these things figured out. Put money in the investment. I got money in the savings. And guess what? I've got a little bit left over. Now this is an opportunity. It's seed to be sown into someone else's life. Now your money becomes a ministry. This is when it gets fun to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Why? Because God knows if I give him that money, he will give it away and I'll just blow his socks off by giving him more. The reason I grieve over this message today is because I believe there are so many followers of Jesus Christ who have never experienced what it's like to give a spirit-led gift because they're stuck on the very basic returning to the Lord. And I know why. Churches have ruined it for people. Pastors have ruined it for people. People lied about this truth. The devil wants to tie up your finances and get you angry and frustrated. And the reality is this has been a supernatural principle since the foundation of time. And I believe there is breakthrough and financial freedom that God has for your life. Money becomes a ministry. Look what it says. And God is able to bless you abundantly. Look at this. So that in all things and at all times, having all that you need. Look at this. You will abound in every good work. In the the NLT, God will generously provide all you need and then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to do what? To meet the needs of one another. I'm not done yet. Look at this. And you supply seed to the sower and bread for food will also also supply and increase your store of seed. Guess what that word increase means? Multiply. What's four times four? Don't do one because it's one plus one times one is one. That's not very fun. I need you to catch this today. There is a multiplication. But the problem is many of us want to be here, but there are spiritual practices you must institute in your 
finances to get to this place. And when you do, guess what happens? There is an increase of your store of seed. And look at this. Not only that, he will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. What is righteousness? Your heart. He does something in your heart. This is when you're like, oh my gosh, I never realized that God owned all the money anyways. And because I'm a good steward of it, he gives me everything I need, meets every single need I have. I have more than I've ever needed. And I just keep giving it away. And he just keeps giving it back. I get to see a side of God in the area of money that I've never seen before because I realize that money just it doesn't matter. It all belongs to the Lord. It's all His. He doesn't just want 10%. He can have it all. He wants your heart. And he says this in this last verse today. You must each decide in your heart how much to give. It's between you and the Lord. And don't give reluctantly in response to pressure for God loves a person. You know what that word cheerfully means? The word cheerfully means like hilariously giving. It actually speaks to the eye of a readiness in your heart to respond at any moment. You're walking into church and you see a need and you say, oh, look at this. I got a thousand bucks in my pocket. Boom, let me meet that need. There were, a couple of months ago, there was a family in our church who their dryer went out cold. didn't work. They weren't doing very well financially. By the end of that group, they had $500 cash in their hand and someone had bought them a new dryer. Why? Because that person was practicing spiritual, biblical discipline in their life to know that now I get to, I get to be a ministry to others. I get to use my money to make a difference in the kingdom of God because I was a good steward by finances. This is evidence of spiritual momentum in your life. Spiritual maturity in hell is when you finally release the idea that your money belongs to you. My money belongs to God. And he's given me a financial practice that if I follow, I'll be able to experience what he intended for my finances. Now I want to pray for you today. Again, I love this because I'm not asking for an offering today. <laughs> Everyone stand up and get your pocketbooks out. <laughs> Run it to the front. Just kidding. I believe today that there is going to be some spiritual bondage broken off of you today. Some of you today have had bad experiences in the past in another church, and I'm sorry about that. Someone you today have experienced a pastor who's taken advantage of you and I hate the fact that there are pastors and churches that give a bad name to people who actually want you to see spiritual breakthrough and supernatural breakthrough in your life maybe you're not a Christian you're like dude that sounds amazing how do I do that well you gotta give your life to Jesus first just turn to him he's God but I believe this year I, I, I prophesied this in December of last year that there would be uh, financial debt broken off of lives uh, off of our lives and there'll be spiritual supernatural financial breakthrough and so we don't pray for this very often, but I want to pray for you right now. I want everyone to close their eyes for a minute because I know it's going to be a little bit vulnerable. I want to give you an opportunity right now. And there's something about raising your hand in faith. And what it does, it says, okay, I confess. I confess that I need help. I'm not going to call you forward or embarrass you, but I want to pray for you today. Come on, even if it's a small little hand up, you just want me to see it, put your hand up, it's okay. I'm not going to call you out, but I just want to pray. Come on, just put your hand in the air right now. If you're like, you know what? I need some spirit, supernatural breakthrough in my finances. Come on, just put your hand up real quick. There you go. Come on, anybody else? There you go. Come on, anybody else? Come on, all across the room. Half the hands are like barely up very high. <laughs> Holy Spirit, this is not a word from Ryan. This isn't a gimmick. This isn't a trick. <laughs> this is just your word. I pray, Holy Spirit, for financial breakthrough in our lives. Lord, forgive us for hoarding your money. Forgive us for holding on to what you gave us. God, 
Holy Spirit, I pray right now for the marriages that are fighting over finances. I pray you bring restoration to them, healing to them right now. I speak to the spirit of mammon, spirit of money that's permeated many of our lives. We rebuke it in the name of Jesus. And we declare the spirit of God will be in charge once again of our finances. Lord, I pray even right now for, uh, for wisdom. Lord, if they're in uh, uh, crazy amounts of debt that, that due to bad choices, right now, Lord, we repent. We ask you to forgive us. We say, Lord, forgive us of our sin. Now, Lord, help us. Lord, give us wisdom. Give us, give us understanding. Lord, give us help in this season, God, to know how to get out of the place of debt. Now, I pray, Holy Spirit, right now for hope, hope to fill their heart. Hope to know that they don't have to work extra hours and be away from their family and do all these things. No, Lord, hope to know that, Lord, if we confess our sins to you, you are faithful and just to forgive us of our sins, and you're going to bring supernatural breakthrough in our finances. In the name of Jesus Christ, I declare it over their lives. I speak blessing over them right now in the name of Jesus Christ. We are to be a blessed so that we can be a blessing. I just declare it right now. In the mighty name of Jesus Christ, amen. Now, we have actually a finance class going right now. It's about to end here soon. But if you do need financial support or help, please talk to us. We want to help you see breakthrough in your finances, amen. Thank you for listening to our Love City Church podcast. Visit us online at www.lovecitychurch.ca. We pray that this message encourages you and strengthens you in your walk with Jesus.